Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1. We're going to clean up some things from this morning and see what we can get through tonight, trying to understand these visions in the book of Zechariah. Of course, we believe that every word of the Bible is there on purpose. There are no superfluous words. Isn't that right? There we go. We believe every word of the Bible is true. And you know that as we study the Bible, that principle of measured words is so important. Um, let's, let's get the background of that real quick. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And of course, keep Zechariah, considering we haven't read anything there yet. Look at John 21. John chapter 21. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Isn't that a great verse? And so the idea here, it's very clear that God had a specific number of things that he wanted to uh, preserve for us in his word. Is that right? And so what we believe then is that every word of God is pure. Every word of God is there for a reason. All right? And so that's what we're supposed to be looking for as we study the word of God. So tonight, we're going to try and get an understanding of what is God trying to communicate to us in the book of Zechariah by doing some cross-referencing and tracking down some things in the scriptures. Look with me in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him there were red horses speckled in white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. So remember what's going on. This is in a single night. Zechariah receives eight different visions from God. And each of the visions follow a pattern. There's an explanation or a description of the vision. And then there's a question about what it means. And then there's the explanation or the, the, the interpretation that is given by the angel. All right. Look at verse 10. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees, answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? And on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years. And the Lord answered the angel and that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. All right. It is going to take us a little while to get through this particular vision. We're going to be very careful in looking at the different words and trying to understand what God is talking about. So that'll give us the foundation for the other visions. But something that's interesting about this is each individual vision has a message. And then the cumulative message of the eight visions is going to be profound. You're not going to believe what God has prophesied 2,500 years ago that we are witnessing and seeing come into a culmination today. Um, now, go, let's, let's look at some keys to understanding the text. Look at verse 7 again. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, and we know this is, this is February 15th, upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, 
which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius. All right, so we're seeing that Darius is identified as the king. And there's something that's very interesting about these three post-exile books, uh, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi. It's very interesting that God never identifies Israel as his people in that time. He doesn't show his ownership of them. You see, there's, there's darkness, there's wandering, there's confusion, and that's why Jesus is sent. The Messiah comes to them, and we're going to see some of that. We're going to see some of the time period that this is speaking of. But we also need to remember that these prophecies in Zechariah, they begin with the rebuilding of the temple here, this second temple, after they've gone back into the land. But it, these prophecies go all the way through the millennium, the kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish on this earth. It's a, it's a fascinating time. Um, but I want us to look again at this date. The Bible says here, and this is really interesting to me, the Bible says that these prophets are prophesying, these prophecies are coming in the second year of Darius. So all of these prophecies, all of the prophecies that are recorded in Haggai, all of the prophecies that are recorded in Zechariah, they're all prophecies that take place in the second year of Darius. You're saying, okay, we've, we've heard that like 10 times now. What, so what? Well, go to, let's go to Ezra chapter 6, and I want you to see something. Go to Ezra chapter 6. I wish we had time to read this whole chapter because it really does give us an understanding of what was going on. But look at Ezra 6 and verse 1. Then Darius, or Darius the king, made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls. How many of you like the house of the rolls? Sounds like a bakery, doesn't it? where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written. And it goes on to talk about what Cyrus, the king, had decreed about, the, the, about Israel being allowed to go back into the land. And so Darius is looking at this and so he prophesies, or, or not prophesies, but commands that the people go back. And he says, we're going to give you so much money, and this is how big the temple's going to be. And he commands his governors to make it happen speedily. Now, how many of you think that when Darius told his governors to make something happen speedily, that it happened speedily, right? And we know that that happened because look at verse 13. Then uh, Tatnai, the governor on this side of the river, uh, and uh, Seath, Seeth Arboznai and their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did, what? Speedily. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, and they builded and finished it according to the commandment of God, the God of Israel, and according to the commandment of Cyrus and of Darius and of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, what do we have here? This was started under Cyrus. Cyrus is a Babylonian, and then it's carried out through Darius, a, a Persian, and now here, Artaxerxes, a Persian. What in the world is going on? This is such an interesting thing. Well, the first thing that I want you to notice is that it took four years for them to, from the start to finish to finish the temple, to complete it, and they did that. But something else that's interesting to me is it says that Haggai and Zechariah prophesied through it the whole time. But we only have the prophecies that they prophesied in the second year of Darius. So here's our problem. There's a bunch of the Bible that's missing. How many of you think that's a problem? No. What, we, what we're confronted with in our age is all these people looking for the lost books of the Bible. And we hear about these lost gospels and these lost books and people looking for things. What I want you to see is that Jesus Christ told us what the canon of the Old Testament would be. He told us what books it would include. L look with me at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. 
you know what, before we go to Matthew, can I just do a little rabbit trail with you for a minute? Let's just, let's just do a rabbit trail. I want you to see this. There are different things, these different books of the Bible that people are looking for. They're looking for the, the book of Joash. What is that? What are they talking about? I'm sorry, the book of Jasher. The book of Jasher. Look with me at uh, Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. Look at verse 13. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of what? Jasher. So these Jews, they understood that there were some things written in the book of Jasher. Who here has read the book of Jasher? Everybody turn your Bible to the book of Jasher. It's not there, is it? It's not there. Look at 2 Samuel 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Verse 17. The Bible says, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. That sounds like man camp, doesn't it? The use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. And so what you have is you have people that spend a whole bunch of time trying to find the book of Jasher. It's interesting. Look at 2 Kings chapter 14. Second Kings chapter 14. Look at verse 25. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain according to the word of the Lord God of Israel. Now look at this. Which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gath-hefer. Now, he's saying that he's restoring this land according to the word of Jonah. The only problem is that's not recorded in the book of Jonah. So, where did he write that? He didn't. He said it. He prophesied this. God didn't preserve it for him. He, spoke, he spake it. But we don't have those words written down anywhere except right here. So if you were looking for this in the book of Jonah, or if you were looking for some other book that Jonah wrote, it does not exist. So does that mean that we don't have the Word of God? This kind of thing happens over and over again. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Where is Paul's epistle from Laodicea? How many of you, that's your favorite book of the Bible? It's not there. Look at Enoch. Or Enoch. Jude. Turn with me to the book of Enoch. Some of the teenagers were actually looking for it. <laughs> what Bible do you have, Anthony? Look at Jude, verse 14. Jude, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And so there are people that are looking all over the place for the book of Enoch. Don't you wish they spend as much time looking in the scriptures as they do looking for these books that are so, they're, they're, they're so, they are assumed to be lost. Can I tell you this? There are no lost books of the Bible. They're not lost. We have the Bible. God the Holy Spirit compiled the Word of God and preserved it for us. Isn't that right? That's what we believe. Look with me at Matthew chapter 23. I want you to see something. 
This is pretty cool. Jesus Christ Himself gave us the, the contents of the Old Testament. All right, so look at... Look at, we're in chapter 23, Matthew 23, look at verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you know, you understand they killed them, right? The Jews killed the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wasn't he just such a kind, loving, Mr. Rogers character? Again, this Jesus is different than the Jesus that is uh, represented in the world, isn't he? But now, look, here's what I wanted us to get to. Look at verse 34. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. So now this is what's going to happen. But look at what did happen. That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. So now Zechariah, chronologically, is the last book of the Old Testament. Date-wise, it's the last book that was written. And so Jesus says that the prophets come from Abel, and we know that Abel was a prophet because his blood, his blood prophesies from the earth. That's what the Bible says. So the prophet Abel, all the way to the prophet Zacharias, that's the, that is the canon of the Scriptures. But what's interesting is you have some Bible scholars who say that that's not Zechariah. That's not Zechariah from Zechariah chapter 1, or the book of Zechariah. There are about 30 different Zechariahs mentioned in the Old Testament, and they're saying that this Zechariah, the son of Berechias, and the Bible says that it's Zechariah, the son of Berechias, in the book of Zechariah. So I think that this is Zechariah, the son of Berechias. I think it's the same guy. Y'all got that? That's what I believe. But there are some people who believe that this is a, a different Zechariah, and it's identified. You'll, look, you'll find him in 2 Chronicles 24. So go to 2 Chronicles 24 with me. 2 Chronicles 24. And look at verse 20. Uh, verse 19. Zechariah 24, 19. I'm sorry. 2 Chronicles... 24:19 Ye he sent prophets to them or I'm sorry yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord and they testified against them but they would not give ear and the spirit of God came unto Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. So there are some people who believe that Jesus Christ was referring to this incident because we don't have a record of the prophet Zechariah being killed in the, at the temple. And yet, in the history of the Jews, they recorded that he was killed in between the altar of the temple, just as Jesus Christ said. But let's say that this is who Jesus Christ was talking about. So does that diminish Jesus Christ establishing the canon of the Old Testament or the contents of the Old Testament? No, no. Because Abel was the first prophet, and in the Jewish Bible, Second Chronicles is the last book of their Jewish Bible. It includes all of our books, all of our Old Testament books. It includes all of them. They're just in a different order. 
So Jesus Christ made sure that whether you have the Bible for the Gentiles or the Bible for the Jews, you know you are absolutely sure what books are supposed to be in the Old Testament. How many of you think that's pretty awesome? God told us that we can be sure of what is in the Bible. And just because we only have the prophecies that Haggai and Zechariah prophesied in the second year of, Ze in the, second year of the reign of King Darius, we can be confident that we have the books that Jesus Christ, that God the Holy Spirit, wanted us to have. So what would happen if you found the epistle of Paul to the Laodiceans? What would happen if you found the book of Jasher? What would happen if you found the book of Enoch? What would happen? What would happen if you put that in the Bible and you said, look, the Bible says that these things were, were they're referenced in the Scriptures. What would happen if you did that? Look with me at Proverbs chapter 30. Look at verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Do you know what God says? I preserved my word. You have the books that I want you to have. That's why you have them. They have been preserved for you. Where were they preserved? Go to 1 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is where God preserved His Bible. That's the pillar and ground of the truth. How do we know that? John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God has used His churches all through the ages to preserve His words. We have them. If we don't have the book of Jasher, it's because God doesn't want us to have it. If we don't have the, the, the epistle of Paul to the Laodiceans, it's because God doesn't want us to have it. I don't believe there ever was a book of Enoch, but if we don't have it, it's because God did not want us to have it. Amen? We have the words of God. Every word of God. What would happen if we found those books? Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Man, you add something to this Bible, you take something away from this Bible, God is going to curse you with the plagues that are in the book of Revelation. That's what God promises. How many of you think you better just keep your hands off the Bible? Amen. Amen. We have what God wants us to have. That is awesome. So as you're studying your Bible, if you start comparing things and you find things, like there's only the prophecies recorded from the second year of the reign of King Darius, and yet in Ezra chapter 6, it tells us that they prophesied for all four years. Why don't we have those things? Because God doesn't want you to have them. We just got to have confidence in His Word. Go back to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1. Look again at verse 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night. You see that? I saw by night. What's the significance of God saying that he saw this by night? 
what this is going to do is this is going to begin identifying what is the time period that God wants us to understand. What's the time period that God wants us to understand? So you guys have your Bibles ready? Let's try to track this down. Go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. Let's just back a couple of books. Habakkuk. Jake, we should have named you Habakkuk. I like that name. Some of you say Habakkuk. Look at what it says in verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So he's going to stand a watch. In the, in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, we understand that there are three watches and those watches are at night. There are four watches of the night. Let's try to track this down. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 21. Isaiah chapter 21. Look at verse 11. Isaiah 21, verse 11. The burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of Seir. Watchman, watchman, what of the night? Watchman, watchman, what of the night? So the watchman is watching in the night. We could go back to another passage in the book of Judges that talks about the watchman coming out in the middle watch. There were four watches. And let's go to Mark chapter 13 and let Jesus Christ tell us about these watches. Mark chapter 13, and we're going to get the context of this. Mark chapter 13. And look at verse 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Now, isn't that interesting? Keep your place here and go back to Zechariah chapter 1. This is pretty interesting to me. Look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts. So the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So here God the Son is asking God the Father a question. O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem, on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? So Babylon, has, they've been in the Babylonian captivity. Babylon has now been destroyed by Persia. That's the context. So here you have all of this going on, and God the Son is asking God the Father when this is going to happen. Keep your place in Zechariah, but go back to... Go back to Mark, Mark chapter 13. So the Bible says that the Son doesn't know this when the Lord's going to return, but the Father. But look at this, verse 33. Take heed, or take ye heed. Watch and pray, for, you know, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants. Does that sound like the Great Commission? And to every man in his work, what work? We have that. What work? John chapter 17. Remember? John 17, his work. What did Jesus Christ... Well, let's look at it. Keep your place. John 17. Jesus Christ is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to go to the cross. John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven... And said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What has he done? Jesus Christ has finished His work. What's His work? He's trained His men and they're ready to carry on His work. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He's trained them. What did He do? Look at verse, 20, verse 18. 
As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. They are ready to do His work. The work that Jesus Christ was doing. What was the work that Jesus... What is the work of the Lord? It's the work that the Lord was doing when He was here on earth working. That's the work of the Lord. He finished His work. Go back to John. Go back to, to Mark chapter 13. So when Jesus Christ left, He left His disciples. He was going to give them authority, the Great Commission, and to do His work. Now look at what it says. And commanded the porter to watch. That was the end of verse 34. Look at verse 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh. At even, that's from 6 to 9 at night. Or at midnight, that's from 9 to 12. That's that second watch. Or at the cock crowing. Isn't that when Peter denied the Lord? All right. Or in the morning. So the cock crowing is from 12 to 3, and the morning is from 3 to 6. So we have that. That morning from 3 to 6, that's that... That's the last watch. That's the last watch before the Lord returns. But look at what it says. Verse 35 again, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, Watch. So what's going on? The night is the time between the ascension of Jesus Christ and His return. That's the night. Do you know what time we're in? We're in that last watch, that darkest time before the Lord returns. Do you all believe that? We are in that dark time before He comes. Let's see if we can figure this out some more. Go to Matthew chapter 24. How did Jesus say that He would come? Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. So this thief comes. And this thief comes in the night. So what in the world is this talking about? How, who is this thief? Let's see if the Bible tells us. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in when? The night. Watch. Watch. We're in the night time. Watch it. The Lord is coming back. Don't let Him find you sleeping. Watch for Him. He's coming. Let's track this down some more. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in when? The night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. God says He's going to return as a thief. Go to Revelation chapter 16, verse 15. Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now look, the Bible is making it very clear when the night is. The night that we're watching for is the time right before Jesus Christ returns. And He is coming back. Now, just that right there, it's a, there's a little fear right there, isn't there? Watch, lest your garments be defiled. and You be ashamed when He comes. But look, we're not 
we're not deceived about when He's coming back. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 4. Remember, 1 and 2 Thessalonians written to the church in the last days. Every chapter deals with the second coming of Jesus Christ telling us to be ready. Look at verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us, what? Watch and be sober. How many of you think this is pretty awesome so far? God's Word, it's just defining all of this for us. Telling us what to do. We're supposed to watch. Telling us when it's going to be. It's right before Jesus Christ returns. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Verse 24. He gives us an illustration of this. Matthew 14, verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night. What's that fourth watch? That's the darkness of the night, right before the sun rises. But in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Aren't you glad the sun comes up? Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. How many of you are glad you're not in darkness? Are you all saved? Then you're not in the night. It doesn't matter what's going on in the culture. We are in the light, the Bible says. What does that mean we're in the light? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is light and we're in Christ. So we're in the light. That's awesome. The Bible tells us that when we have the new heaven and the new earth, there's no need for a sun because Jesus is the light. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 19. This is where our confidence is. Our confidence isn't in the words that Jonah spoke that we don't have recorded. Our confidence isn't in the prophecy of Enoch that we don't have recorded. Our confidence is not in the book of Jasher. Our confidence is not in anything that anyone has ever said. Our confidence is not in the audible voice of God. What does the Bible say? We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Jesus Christ is coming back. We're in that fourth watch of the night. There's darkness all around us. We're in the light and Jesus Christ is coming. And until then, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have His words and we can trust His words. Saying, Pastor, that all sounds great, but what does this have to do with Zechariah? Well, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 21, where we started with this, and let's see if we can get the context. Isaiah chapter 21. Remember verse 11. The burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of seer. Watchman, watchman, what of the night? Watchman, watchman, what of the night? What's the context? Look at verse 9. And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he hath broken unto the ground. So here we have the immediate context of Zechariah, the destruction of Babylon and the Persian Empire rising. But ultimately, this is that revived Babylon that comes up in the tribulation and God destroys it when He comes back to establish His kingdom in that great and notable day of the Lord. But notice what happens. Look at verse 11. The burden of Duma. He calleth to me out of seer. Watchman, watchman, what of the night? Watchman, watchman, what of the night? The watchman said, the morning cometh. Isn't that awesome? The morning cometh. Jesus Christ is coming back. But look at also what it says. And also the night. You see, it's morning for us because we're going to be taken out in the rapture. 
It's night for Israel because the tribulation is coming to them and it's darkness like they've never seen before. It's an amazing thing. But look at what the Bible says. If ye will inquire, inquire. If ye will inquire, inquire ye. Return. Come. Return. Come. Now look. That's telling Israel to come back. Return, come. But I want you to notice something. So what are we looking for? Go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Isaiah 21, 12. Return, come, return, come. He which testifieth, Revelation twenty two twenty. He that he which testifieth these things saith, Surely, I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming. That's the morning for us, but that's the night for Israel. That's what's being prophesied in Zechariah. Remember what happened in John fourteen. Go back to John fourteen. Verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, what? Come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Folks, Jesus Christ is coming back. The night for Israel is coming. It's a time of terrible darkness. It's a time of terrible night. Now, we're, that, that, he's not going to come on us as a thief. Why? Because we're in the light. We're in the day. We're not like them. But do you remember what happens? Get Zechariah 1 and get 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All right? Zechariah 1. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 11. Uh, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 11 first. And they answered the angel of the Lord. These are the horses that have been sent to and fro in the earth. And we're going to look at that another time. Track that down. But look at what it says. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. Remember, myrtle, myrtle, this is Esther, Hadassah, Israel. All right. Jesus Christ is there among the, among the Jews. And said, we have walked to and fro. These are the horses speaking to the Lord. We have walked to and fro through the earth. And behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Everything's at peace. Everything's okay. Remember the prophet Jeremiah that prophesied what would happen. He said, they, they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Is that right? Keep your place in Zechariah. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night... For when they shall say, what? Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. That travail, that's always dealing with the tribulation period. It's always dealing with that. But, remember verse 4, But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. We're the children of light. So what's the context of Zechariah chapter 1? The immediate context was finish the temple. Finish the temple. You're back in the land. God hasn't forgotten you. You've been punished because of the sins of your fathers. God hasn't forgotten you. The Messiah is going to come. And there are four words of comfort that He gives. And we'll get to those probably next week. But there are four words of comfort that He gives. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Ultimately, it's going to be okay. We better look at those four words of comfort. Look at what they are. Look at four words of comfort. Um, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, 
I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Jesus Christ says, I'm coming back to Jerusalem. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the sad part. This was 500 years before Christ. After 500 years, He came. And He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He came. Aren't you glad He's coming again? Aren't you glad we have the God of the second chance? He's coming back. He is coming to Israel. That's a, that's a comforting word. Jesus Christ will return. But not only that, look at verse 16 again. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it. So here, God's saying to them, look, that second temple is going to be built. But you remember that second temple, they wept. It wasn't as good as the first temple. But the temple is going to be rebuilt again. So Jesus Christ is coming back to Jerusalem and His temple will be built in Jerusalem. Comforting words. I just got a report from Israel that the Palestinians are saying we might let the Jews build a temple. How about that? How about that? Comforting words. The Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem. His house is going to be built. And then look at what it says. Middle of verse 16. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. When you see that in the Bible, a line shall be stretched on it. That's God expanding. That's, that's that measuring tape going on. It's going to get bigger. And we understand that at the time of the captivity, Jerusalem had been, had been brought small. Jesus is saying, I'm going to expand it. It's going to be better than its former glory. And we understand that when Jesus Christ returns and He sets His foot in the Mount of Olives and it's split in half, and then that mountain rises up and Israel comes up and the rivers flow out of Jerusalem and water the whole earth. What's He doing? He's enlarging Jerusalem the city of God. Those are comforting words. He's coming back. So, Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem. His house is going to be built in Jerusalem. The boundaries will be expanded. And then look at this. God will once again choose Jerusalem. Once again, God will choose Jerusalem. Verse 17, Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion. Look, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Now we've got to finish this up with Romans chapter 11. We looked at it this morning. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. We're in Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Hey, you Gentiles, don't be proud. Yeah, Jerusalem, Israel is, God is, is not working through Israel right now. But you Gentiles, don't get puffed up. Look at what it says. Lest ye be wise in your own conceits, middle of 25. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Remember when that blindness happened? Remember when that blindness happened? Luke 19. <laughs> I love the Lord and His timing and we're just preaching through a book of the Bible and look where God's brought us today. Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, What is this? This is his triumphal entry. This is what people were celebrate on Palm Sunday, which would be today, supposedly. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. What is that? This is when the blindness came to Israel. This is when it happened. Why did it happen? Because they missed his day. They missed his day. Remember we started this whole message with trusting every word of God and believing every word of God? God's judging Israel here for not being aware of every word of God. What day? What day? Psalm 118. Psalm 
Verse 24, Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Remember he said you should have been rejoicing over that day? You should have. Is that what Jesus said in Luke 19? How do we know that's what it's talking about? Look at what it says. Verse 25, Save now, I beseech thee. O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Verse 26, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What did they cry when Jesus Christ rode in? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was their day. This was their day. We're not going to take the time to go through it, but Daniel 9 told them exactly, specifically, the calendar day that he was coming. And they missed it. They missed it. Back to Luke 19. Luke 19, Charlie. Luke 19. Saying, if thou hadst known even thou at least... Okay, Luke 19, verse 42. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast thee a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, the siege of Jerusalem, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. He told them. They missed their day. He had told them. Now, that blindness has come. Back to Romans chapter 11. Middle of verse 25, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that God's not done with Israel? And isn't it wonderful that He's going to take us out before the tribulation? Amen. The morning's coming, but so is the night. So is the night. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And here we have God controlling the kingdoms and all of the nations coming against Israel and what God's going to do with them. When does it happen? When does it happen? Ezekiel 38 and 39, those nations are going to come against Jerusalem. God's going to wipe them out. The rapture of the church takes place, either right before or right after that. Tribulation, the Lord returns and answers everything that He promises in Zechariah chapter 1. What a blessing. What an amazing book. What an amazing prophecy. I hope that you'll trust the Lord. I hope that you believe what He says. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.